Scripture today is from Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Now, don't you all feel so much better knowing that you're insane? Uh, Jesus said, uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so that's what I'm called to do this morning, is to just in a little way try to help set you free from your insanity for the new year. You've already pretty much uh, destroyed uh, 2014. And my plan is for this insane speaker to communicate to all you insane people what it means to be insane and how we, as proactive followers of Jesus Christ, might find some degree of success in replacing our everyday insanity with a little bit of sanity. So uh, it's basically a, a bad news, good news message. Let's pray. Uh, Father, last week uh, you used Rod to show us a picture of a large pile of garbage and how artists took from that garbage and created a beautiful artwork. And that's what you want to do through us. And we ask that this morning, as we even look at this passage in Ecclesiastes 9.3, how harsh it seems to, to be that you will take that and other scriptures that we touch upon to uh, show us the way of insanity and uh, that we would uh, demonstrate our love to you because of your love for us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we begin with the bad news, that the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. And insanity is in our hearts throughout our lives. So what we want to do is look at the two words heart and the word insanity. The word heart is not referring to our physical heart. Of course, that's what pumps the blood that keeps us alive, physically. The spiritual heart is that something down deep inside connected with our spirit. Uh, we often think of our brains do the thinking, but really uh, it stores information. It's our heart that controls the thinking, that person down inside that we all really are. Insanity, according to Webster's Dictionary, says someone mentally ill or deranged or very foolish. Uh, in the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, especially this Hebrew word, also is translated madness. And it's translated madness uh, throughout the book of, of Ecclesiastes. For us, when we think of madness, we think of a, an animal that is running around, foaming at the mouth, not acting normal, and actually somewhat dangerous. And so it's like Solomon is saying, we're all a bunch of foaming at the mouth mad dogs. And it's interesting that com this comes from Solomon, and he's really in a position where he can say this because... In chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse 17, he says, I gave my heart to know madness. What? You what? 
a man, a, a man of God that really wanted in the beginning when God called him just to have a heart of knowledge and wisdom to lead his people. And now he's decided he's going to do that. It's just like Adam when he was in the garden and he had this, this beautiful piece of property with lots of fruit trees and all he could eat, a beautiful wife, and they could run around nude and nobody would say anything. What a great life he had. But he wanted from that tree over there. He was going to miss out without that. And that's what Solomon is doing with all the wisdom God gave him that carried him, the Scriptures say, all throughout his life. Yet he decided to say, well, I want to experience madness. And so he is qualified to tell us that our hearts are full of evil. And insanity is in our hearts all the days of our life. Our president is insane. Our Congress is insane. Our Supreme Court justices are insane. Um, King David and the Apostle Peter were insane. Um, Those people we worship in Hollywood, professional athletes, talented musicians and singers, and successful CEOs, our parents, our children, and those people sitting next to you this morning are all insane. Rejoice. Isn't that good to know that? Now you know why everybody does such weird things around you and makes such bad decisions. The tragedy is that insane people cannot experience the ongoing joy that God designed for his people. And also, insane people suffer not only the consequences of their own insanity, but the consequences is consequences of other people's insanity. Peter Sellers, the uh, fantastic comedian who was in the, the Pink Panther movies, put it this way. He said, behind the mask of all of us clowns is sadness and broken hearts. Why? It's because we have a tendency to trust in the evil directions of our heart. Uh, Proverbs 28:26 uh, says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's because our heart deceives us. And it's all because of the fall. We're born into sin, and we live that way. Let me give you a definition of insanity. Insanity is a condition of thinking and acting in ways that man believes will satisfy his purpose in life and fulfillment in life without God. Insanity is a condition of thinking and acting in ways man believes will satisfy his longing for purpose and fulfillment in this life, a life apart from God. It's thinking and acting opposite to God. It's that simple. Like in uh, Isaiah chapter 55, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Insanity is a disease of the heart And the heart is somewhat like a playground for the devil. He looks out there just like we did when we were kids and we went out in the playground and we saw all those wonderful things we could play in while mom was over there. And that's the way the devil uh, looks at us. And what I did here this past year is I wanted to do a study on the heart. And it's used about a thousand times in Scripture, both New Testament Greek and, and the Hebrew, Old Testament. Use it about a thousand times, it broke down into about 40 categories of how the Scripture uses the word heart. 
And in one of those, it's dealing with the tendencies of an evil heart. And that really caught my attention because I wanted to know, well, I know I'm a sinner. We all admit, yeah, we're sinners. But how often do we actually say, well, in what way am I sinning? In what way am I really living for myself and not for God? And so what I want to do, I come up with 53 of these, 53. And uh, as I look through them, I find that I'm guilty in 52 of the areas. And, And the only one I'm not guilty of, it relates to the ladies. Now... What I want you to do when I read through this list of not 53, I'm just going to do 26. Bang, 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 real quick. I'm not going to give you the scripture references. I'm just going to go through them real quick. I want you to hurry and write them down and put them on your refrigerator door. And every morning when you get up, you look at that long list. And then you'll, oh, woe is me. No, you don't do that. <laughs> it's woe is Mark and Marie and Brenda and Linda and uh, Mary Lou and Jackson too. And Rod and the rest of the staff and all of us. We all have a problem with our own insane hearts. Uh, I have a, uh, a son by the name of Luke, and when he was about three years old, he was with his mother in the grocery store, and uh, this very dark-skinned man was standing right beside him, and he looked up at him, and he'd never seen anybody quite like this before, and he says, Just look at your face! <laughs> and that embarrassed my wife. But that's what we're going to do now, is we're going to kind of look at the face of our heart real quick, just a portion of it. Okay, now when I go through this, what I want you to do is more or less stand outside of your body and think about who you are inside. You're going to notice how, uh, how nasty this heart is down in here. And we don't want it to be, but it, that's just how it is. And then as Christians, what we can do is realize that, yes, we are infected with an evil heart, but uh, we are not guilty We are not condemned because we have given our lives to Jesus Christ and he has died for our sins. We are forgiven. So when we see this list, it's not a terrible. What it is is it reveals who we are, but it reveals who God is who has forgiven us of our sins and wiped the slate clean. So here we go. I'm going to read through real quick. And you can rejoice in this, okay? Don't Don't feel bad. It devises wicked plans. It speaks perverse things. It is deceitful. It's full of evil and insane. It utters lying words. It is stubborn and rebellious. It's adulterous, covetous. It harbors many devices. It continues after idols. It's haughty. It curses God. It lusts after the beauty of women. It holds secrets. It's envious. It can't be trusted. It's restless. It's impulsive. It's trained in greed, the uh, Apostle Peter said. It is bound up in foolishness. It curses others. It stores up anger. It spreads strife. It becomes anxious. Uh, It knows bitterness. And the 26th one here to get to end it. It hates to reproof. And whether my wife is reproving me or somebody else is reproving me, wherever I get reproof, my instant response is to defend myself. Isn't that what you all do? And then you have to wait for the Spirit of God to say, wait wait a minute here, and kind of move you in the the proper uh, direction. Now, I'd go on and list the others, but then you'd all kind of drift into a a, a pool of despair, probably go out and hijack a bus, and you'd all drive to Oregon or Colorado and get a quick fix. (laughs) Uh, Legally. Legally. 
So I find that the, the devil does not really want us to know what the evil tendencies of our heart really are. Because if we do know, we'll have a tendency to call for help. We'll go to God. And as long as we can ignore these evil tendencies in our life, uh, we'll feel like we're just fine. Unconsciously, we'll, we'll, we'll feel like we're Mary Poppins. Practically perfect in every way. And then what happens is uh, healthy self-evaluation disappears. And we shift our minds into neutral. Our heart keeps those evil tendencies hidden. And I, like to, I like to picture it as um, the devil. He's got the 53 evil tendencies out in front of him. And he's marching through and he's giving instructions. Now what I want you to do, I want you to infect the people. But don't let them know you're there. Keep it quiet. I don't want them turning to God and asking for help. I have a tendency to ignore my evil tendencies. My wife helps me, helps me realize them, but I have that tendency to ignore them. Or when I'm reading scripture, it kind of helps me a little bit. When I take a shower, I have a spot right in between my shoulder blades down toward the bottom. And when I wash myself, there was a time where I could get my hands back here and touch my fingers. And I can't, I haven't been able to do that for 20, 25 years. So I know there is a dirty spot right back there somewhere. And I don't want anybody to know about it, and that's why I wear a shirt. <laughs> so my tendency is, is to ignore my evil tendencies. And when we ignore those evil tendencies that God is trying to wake up within us because we're really struggling with doing what he wants us to do by way of how we behave and how we speak, what happens is that we encourage the insanity of self-righteousness while discouraging godly sanity, which happens through transformation. And that's how God transforms us with, within when he works in our heart. And we've got that new heart. If you know Jesus Christ, you've got a new heart. But we have to listen to that new heart as it competes with the, the evil heart. But we need to understand, in part, what needs to be fixed. Uh, I have... Um, <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I had a 49 Ford two-door uh, when I started college, junior college in California. And I had a lot of problems with that car. The block was broken, and so the water would leak out of it. And so every morning when I went to, to school, which was five miles away, I had to take a half gallon of water with me because when I got there, the water was gone. So I, coming home later afternoon, I had to pour water in the radiator. Um, the windshield was broken. The, the radio didn't work, and the clock didn't work. So what's new and back in those days, right? The glove compartment w would not always hold steady, and if I had a passenger over there and I hit a bump and the glove compartment door would fall down and hit him in the knee. Uh, I had uh, the trunk. It's kind of placed up like this. And, and you've got uh, two hinges here, two beautiful chrome hinges on this old gray 49 Ford. They were both broken. And so I was always hoping that the latch at the bottom would hold that on there. 
And I figured I hit a bump, that whole door might come off, and who knows what would happen with that. And I had a kind of a backup, that little cord, that little electric cord that goes in there that attaches to that little light inside your garage door. I was hoping that maybe that could help a little bit. And that light didn't work either. And the front seat, we didn't have bucket seats back in those days. They're just one long seat. Remember that, some of you older folks? One long seat. And so I don't know how they're connected down there, but it seems like there was a bar in the front of it all the way across and a bar in the back. Well, the bar in front had, had, had dislodged. And so it was like a rocking chair when I drive. Well, as long as I was holding on the steering wheel, that was fine. You know, because I could keep the chair somewhat steady. But when I had a guest riding with me, and I'd forget to tell him that we were in a rocking chair, and I'd take off, and he'd go back, and then I'd go back, and we never ended up in the back seat, but, but it was, you know, kind of fun. And then, and then the right-hand door, passenger door, would not always close properly and latch properly. And there'd be times I'd been in a, in a parking lot, my buddy'd come in, sit down, I'd take off, make a left-hand turn, and that door would open up, and he'd be holding onto the door handle with his feet inside. This for dear life, but I'd have to stop the car and rescue him. But one thing about my friends, they didn't have to go to Disneyland for a good time. <laughs> no. You know they don't make cars like that anymore. We miss them, don't we? <laughs> so yes, we are insane because we think and act in ways we think our real purpose and fulfillment in life are going to take place. And so often we do it apart from God because it's so unconscious for our heart to tell us, that tells us what to do. So that's, that's the bad news. The good news is there is a way of sanity. And what's interesting about the book of Ecclesiastes, I know a lot of people don't like to read that book because it is so depressing. I know of pastors that won't teach in that book because it is so depressing. Vanity, vanity, uh, I live my life with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to try to make life really meaningful. And then I die. Oh, gee, that's terrible. Bad news. But Solomon, in all of his wisdom, and see, he followed that path. He had a miserable life toward the end. He wasn't trusting in God, but he still had wisdom. And so in this, le- in this book, he takes these little shots right in through the book, about four of them, I believe, before he gets to the final chapter. And he says, fear God, fear God, fear God. Oh, yeah, fear God. That's the, that's the way out is to know God, to fear him. And at the end, he says, in conclusion, chapter 12, verse 13, in conclusion, after all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. It takes a new heart. It takes a changed heart to really know what it means to fear God. You remember David, King David. He had committed adultery. He had committed murder. He was a man after God's own heart. He didn't even know he had sinned against God. His heart had deceived the most godly man on the face of the earth that time. Because he listened to his heart. And when the prophet came and explained it to him, he fell down in his face. He repented. He wrote Psalm 51. And he said in there, create within me a new heart. What does that heart look like? We can use a lot of scriptures to talk about it. But there's one in Isaiah 51 verse 7 that says, 
the Lord is speaking. He says, listen to me, you who know righteousness. A people in whose heart is my law. It's getting God's word inside of us and believing it and trusting God with it. Remember when Moses went to the mountain and there was thunder, the lightning, of course, and the smoke and the trumpet, and the people were scared to death and they were afraid of God. And Moses said, don't be afraid. The Lord has come to test you that the fear of the Lord might remain in you so that you do not sin. And he says, the only people ever supposed to be afraid of God are people who don't know him. If we know Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid. What he wants us to do and what he's saying there when it talks about fearing God is know who he is as he's revealed himself and live like we know him. Our teenager group has been studying through the book of uh, Isaiah. And from chapter 40 on, God uses a lot of visuals to give the people a picture of how big and powerful, how strong he is, and how much he loves us and he wants to take care of us. And we have to realize that God is spirit. We don't know what that spirit looks like. All we know is that God created the universe and he created us and everything else. And we can see him in Christ in, in personality and how Christ lived. But as far as, that's, that's beyond our understanding. But he does give us these pictures. And what pictures are them? Let me throw a few of them at you. He says, I sit above the circle of the earth. He says, I spread out the heavens like a curtain. He says, I created the stars. I put them right where I wanted them. I call them by name, and not one of them is missing. In Isaiah 66, the first two verses, he says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is there a place that you can build for me that I might rest my head? For I am the Lord, I created all these things. You think you can put me in this, in this building where you've got a big curtain and a little tiny box and stick me in there and think that that's where I am? as the Jews tended to think. He says, no, heaven is my throne. My feet are down here on the earth. If you just stop for a minute and look up, you can see the bottom of my flip-flops. <laughs> Get this picture of how big I am and how much I love you and care for you. I'm a powerful God. And he goes on to say in that second verse of Isaiah 66, uh, he says, to this one I will look. The one who has a who is humble of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. Adrienne has introduced a, a new song to us here several weeks ago. We've sung it a couple of times. And in that song, there's a little line that goes, we tremble before him. Who's the him that we tremble before? It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God that revealed himself through Jesus Christ. That's the one we tremble. But how do we know? We know because the Word of God, the written Word of God, is there for us to see our God. If we don't have the written Word of God, it's like we're floating out in, 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 in a sea of speculation like all the religions of the world because they don't have a, the, a true revelation of God. It's very clearly stated. And so we need to be in the Word of God. Spiritual sanity is the application of godly fear. It's knowing God and it's living like we know Him. It's thinking His thoughts and living God's ways. And I, I want to use a demonstration here 
of what that looks like. How we are, in, we are insane in the way our hearts always speak to us, but uh, this is a replica of, of seating in a car, and it's my life, and it's your life. And we're driving down the highway of life, and have to make a lot of decisions, run into a lot of trouble and different issues we have to deal with. And so somewhere along the line, we come to Christ. Yes, I now have Jesus in my life. He's entered, and Lord, I'm so glad you're here. Now I have real purpose for my life. I've been forgiven. Thank you. And I want you to guide me. I want you to work with me in my life. And then a Christian comes along and he says, what's Jesus doing over here? He should be driving. Right. So I exchange places with Jesus. I put him over here so he can drive. Now, whether we're three years old or we're 103 years old, within a few seconds or a few minutes or a few hours, we're saying, I'll take it from here. And then we're back driving again. And that's our evil heart that's telling us what to do. It's just automatic. It's just natural for us to do it. What, we're, what our heart has been telling us all of our lives. And then, then we go, wait a minute. I need to know where to go. I need to know what, what I'm supposed to do over here. Oh, yeah, Jesus. And we, we want to know, where's Jesus? Well, I, the, way I, the way I see this, this helps me really well. He's in the back seat because I can't see him. And that's okay. That's where he wants to be because he doesn't want me to live by sight. He wants me to live by faith. I want something nice and clear. I want to know exactly what I'm supposed to Give me a vision. Give me, give me something that's real clear, Jesus. And as soon as, you know, when you look back, what happens? You're going to drive. If, you, if that's what you're looking for, he says, no, I want you to live by faith. Man plans his way. The Lord directs his steps, the scriptures say. And so I can plan my way, but I need to listen to him. So how am I going to hear him? Now, it's true, God. I've got to let you know. Once in a while, God uses a vision, a dream, some way of really communicating. Yes, this is what I want you to do. And, and that's fine. But that's not the norm because he wants us to live by faith. And so he puts a mirror up here. And when I'm driving, I'm looking at this mirror. Let's see. And that's the word of God. Now I can know how I'm supposed to think, how I'm supposed to speak, how I'm supposed to act. And so I've got to keep looking. And I can see my Lord. I can see him through the word of God. I've learned that it's not down through the ages. It's not where I go, or what I do, or even who I marry. But it's how I go where I go, it's how I do what I do, and it's how I marry whom I marry. Do I love my Lord and live like I know him? Am I learning to think his thoughts and act in his ways as I see him reveal himself in Scripture? So all through our lives, we've got this one heart inside that automatically tells us one thing, and the heart of Jesus Christ that's also in us, that's also telling us what to do. But we have to, by will, we have to turn over and say, okay, Lord, this is, this is what I want. Uh, it's like driving that car of life that I mentioned earlier in my illustration. I knew what was broken in that car, but I really needed to know how to do it and what to do, and I didn't. But as Christians, we know from his word, what's broken and what needs to be fixed. And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to actually do that. All through the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, it's, it's, uh, the prophets are saying through the voice of God, listen to me, listen to me, pay attention to me, wake up, 
And that's what Jesus said when he came down on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration with his disciples and God came down and God said, and this is all God said. He says, this is my beloved son who I'm, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's all. Listen to him. So all scripture is written by the inspiration of God and is profitable to really grow us up. And so there is our scripture. Uh, my my uh, ready for us to take in. Uh, John Mitchell was the founder of Multnomah School of the Bible. And when I went to Multnomah, he was in his 80s. And every time he spoke, he would all say, are you reading your Bibles? It was hard for him to bend over. He was in his 80s, you know. But are you reading your Bible? You're not reading your Bible? And uh, it made us all stop and think, where are we? Are we? Am I reading my Am I listening to God? When I was in Virginia, my wife and I were back there uh, eight and nine years ago, she, she was going to school, and I had a little remodeling background, so I just did odd jobs and so forth, and I worked for a lady. I was under her house uh, working with insulation for insulating her floor, and I had to go to the bathroom. So I came out. Now picture this. I came out. I went up the stairs of her back, knocked on her back door. She opened it up. Can I use your bathroom? She said, yes, it's right over there. I walked over and closed the door, uh, pulled the seat up, and I sat down. No, I don't picture that. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm sitting on the toilet, and right in front of me is a stool, and on that stool is a Bible, and it's open. And so I start reading, and when I went out and talked to her, I said, You've got, that's interesting, you've got a Bible sitting there. She says, yes. She says, I spent 65 years of my life apart from Jesus Christ, and when I found him, it was my desire to get to know him, and I knew I could, I could know him through his word, know how he loves me, know what he wants me to do, know what he's got ahead for me. I could get all of that from his word. I just wanted to know my God. So I put a Bible in the kitchen, in the living room, in the bathroom, in the hallway, every place there was a spot where I could stick a Bible. So when I'm not doing something else, when I'm busy, I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to read. She was in her 80s at this time. So I just want to know my God. And she found him, obviously, in his word. And what, what really we need to do in that process is be in God's word. That's spiritual sanity, listening to him and then responding with his thoughts and his actions. Um, some of you really enjoy studying God's word and you love the flow. The spirit of God just flows in all the books. You can see what he's saying and you read chapter one, you read chapter two and it just comes alive. Some of you, maybe all you do is you get the, the bread, daily bread, weekly bread, whatever it is. But you read, is it, you read each day, you read, that's okay too. Wherever you are, be in God's word and then meditate upon it. Not like the people in the Eastern religions who meditate on nothing, but we meditate on the Word of God. And then when we've got that going, and it's just going to be more easy for us, easier for us to respond to our Lord. Um, I have a book. One of my buddies in, in Bible school went on and became a pastor. He wrote a book, uh, Dennis Fuquay. Some of you read a book by Dennis Fuquay some time ago, a couple of years ago, on, uh, on the Lord's Prayer. Well, he wrote another one, and he sent me a manuscript here a couple of months ago to kind of go through it and give some comments. And then he said, when I'm through, I'll, I'll give you a copy. So he finished it and sent me a copy. It's Experiencing Life and Power Through Biblical Meditation. And it's one line I want to read here that is just really powerful. Meditation is how the Spirit of God 
writes the word of God in our hearts and the hearts of the people of God. And so we want that written in our hearts, so we're responding to it uh, day in and day out, moment by moment. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 1, verse 2? Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So God has given us a new heart. We can look in the rearview mirror and go in the right direction. And I want to finish here with uh, four little quick illustrations of how God has uh, tapped me on the shoulder many times uh, because I'm acting, thinking insanely. And he helps me sometimes, when I respond properly, to think sanely, spiritually sane. One of them, and this is just kind of a lighthearted one here, but when I was a little kid, the, uh, I was, uh, you know, six months old, a year or so, I was in my crib. And my brother's in the other crib. And uh, he gets out, he's a year older than me, he runs over, reaches through, and he whacks me one. He whacks me again. Mom had to stop him from beating on me. He didn't want a little brother. Well, when we were growing up as little kids, he would get me in a neck hold. You've seen that on the news lately? People can die from a neck hold, and I'd be screaming bloody murder. And so I made up my mind when I was a kid that when he turned 81 and I was 80, because I'm a year younger, I was going to beat the snot out of him. (laughs) You know, because he'd be going along with a cane. He wouldn't be able to stand up well, but I'd be stronger. That's called revenge. And that's what my heart wants to do, is to take revenge. And even to this day, I still think of it, but my brother and I became good friends when I was 17 and he was 18. He got out of high school and he felt pretty good about that. So we became friends. We've been friends ever since. But my evil heart keeps telling me about that promise I made to take revenge. Another one is when my wife and I used to go to, to, the, to the mall in Portland. We lived over there for five years going to school. And... Uh, We'd be walking through a department store, I remember this very vividly, and we were going after some new shoes. And uh, we walked past the women's section with women's clothing on the racks, and my, my wife stops there. What are you stopping there? We're going after shoes, right? And, and, and that, that, the dresses aren't even her size. So what is she looking there for? And so I thought, well... Uh, I've got to do something about that. So what I learned through that first summer when we were doing, I would put my hand behind her neck and I would steer her through the department store. I know you ladies are thinking that I should have been beat with a rubber hose. (laughs) And you're probably right. The Lord says, hey, you're insane here because my wife said, I hate it when you do that. And uh, I, that helped me get the message. <laughs> and yet, all my life, I've still had that tendency to get there and not to slow down because God's Word says I need to understand my wife, love her like Christ loves the church, sacrifice for her, do what she wants to do and not always what I want to do. And that's been very hard for me to do because my heart wants, number one, first. And, and I know a lot of you men are thinking, well, don't go shopping with her and you'll, you will really save, uh, save yourself from that. And you are correct, and my wife and I very seldom shop with each other. 
But once in a while, God says, you need to go out there and use a little sanity. Practice it a little bit. So here, about three, four weeks ago, we were at the mall, walking down the mall, and I put my arm around my lovely wife, and we're walking along. I've made up my mind I'm going to do fine. I'm not going to be a problem here. And uh, I heard this little voice say, go ahead, slip it right on over. I might be a little slow, but I'm not stupid. (laughs) God got me through that. He gave me a little bit of sanity. Number three, another one is I like to pluck the specks out of other people's eyes. When I see that they've got a problem, I might not go pluck that speck out of their eye, but I'm thinking about it. They've got a problem. And the Lord said, well, he gave me a really good example when I was a young Christian. Some of you might have heard this uh, event before, but I... Uh, when we finished the schooling, went to Arizona. I was pastoring down there, and I, we, this is in Prescott, Arizona. And and we went downtown periodically on Saturdays. And there was this guy walking up and down the streets, probably about 45 years old, with a, a with, with tracks, and he was passing them out. And he was going, "Wonderful Jesus, wonderful God, wonderful Jesus, wonderful God, wonderful Jesus, wonderful God." You take a track and you go on. And I'm thinking, that's not the way you witness. I grew up in Campus Crusade for Christ. I know how to witness. This guy's not even talking to the people. It's just wonderful Jesus, wonderful God. He sounds like a broken vending machine, you know. And, uh, and I, I had quit. I was thinking of going and, and say, one of these days, Lord, you tell me, I'm going to go confront this guy. Who do I think I am? Well, what I discovered later was that this guy was a builder, a Christian builder who was at a camp, and he was up, on the, up putting the rafters up. He fell off and landed on his head. And he spent years in and out of the hospital. And he had lost his ability to speak. The only thing he could say was, wonderful Jesus, wonderful God. So who do I think I am? And the Lord says to me, hey, that's my servant. That's not your servant. I'll take care of him. You take care of yourself. And and while you're doing it, I want you to work on that beam that's in your own eye. And he has to keep reminding me of that. That beam in my own eye. Because it's so easy for all of us to point at somebody else. And yes, their hearts are evil too. They're insane too, just like me. We're all in the same boat. Isn't that terrific? So we can accept one another and then have that ability to roll, go with the flow of the Spirit of God as he, as he works with us. The last one, real short here, and this is, uh, I'm opinionated and I t- tend to talk too much. And all through my life, my wife is always reminding me, don't, you know, company comes over, whatever I'm in, I want to talk. And uh, not that I'm making any sense, not that it's saying anything worthwhile, but I just want to talk. And my mom was that way, and I, I'm sorry, that just, I'm that way. Uh, God says, well, that can be insanity, you know. And uh, I remember when we were first going to home Bible studies, when we were out in Portland, and uh, after one of the studies, my good friend, I think it was Dennis here, came to me and he said, Uh, You know, your wife is very quiet. She doesn't say much. But when she does, everybody listens because she's got always got something meaningful to say. Not me. (laughs) No, not necessarily. Sometimes I say something good. But see, I'm getting older and I've got to hurry up and say it all before I die. (laughs) No, No, the Lord says, no, calm down. Calm down. And, And... in our teenager meeting, often we meet in, in the home, in a, in a home, uh, uh, Brian and Mary Lou's home, and we had a whole 
we were just crammed into the home that day, and people, we, were, we were talking about how God works in our life, and they were, everybody was talking and get, going back and forth, and I wanted to say something, and the Lord says, no, and I, I kept telling them back, and they kept going, kept going. I said, yeah, let them talk. And finally, after a while, my dear sister Shirley Moon reaches over and taps me on the shoulder, and she says, are you okay? <laughs> she says, are you sick? <laughs> and, I, and I felt like, I finally acted with a little sanity in my life. I kept my mouth shut and let somebody else talk. Okay. Our hearts are insane all the days of our life, and we have a, a heart that Jesus has given us. It's filled with his word, and all he wants us to do is to be meditating in his word so that we can uh, think his thoughts and act the way he wants us to do in the midst of usually not acting that way. That's just who we are. And isn't that wonderful how much he loves us? Let's pray. Father, we have a new year coming up, and uh, we know that our hearts are insane all the days of our lives, and but we know that you have forgiven us and love us deeply. And uh, we are able to think your thoughts and enact your ways because of your word that guides us and uh, your strength in the Holy Spirit that moves us to think upon your word. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.